Um, now it's time for our message, and so I want to introduce to you our, our preacher for the day. Uh, he is the pastor here of our high school students and our young adult community. He, he's not very popular. He is uh, someone who I love deeply. He's humble, he's confident, he's authentic. Um, for a young man, he is extremely mature. He loves Jesus in such an infectious way. Um, he is funny and just fun to be around. He just brings joy to our staff and our office. And I have to say that I am proud to serve Jesus alongside of Pastor Nick Mistrude. Welcome him up. I'm going to pray for him, or, let's, or how about this, let's pray for him together, what, shall we? Sorry. Father, thank you so much for who you are, the way you work in our lives, the way, the way you, you raise up hope and healing out of even the hard, tough places. I pray tonight, or this morning, for Nick. Uh, thank you for who he is, thank you for his story, thank, thank you for the way you've worked in and through him. Pray, Lord, that you would use the things and the words that he's prepared to touch our lives today, to change us and transform us and shape us as a church community. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to come and uh, do what you do, uh, what only you can do. And so we ask it all for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. How's everybody doing? Good. Good, man. Thank you so much for being so energized. I was like, man, I got to get pumped up. And then everyone's like, yeah. It's like, all right, I'm pumped. Let's do it. I don't need uh, any more coffee. We're good to go. Um, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I, I um, have only, my wife and I have only been here for two, two short years. And I can honestly say that, that I've found home here. This is my home. This is my family. Um, thank you for being so hospitable to my wife and I. You guys have just welcomed us as your own, and it's just been beautiful. It's been so fun. It's kind of scary stepping into a place you don't know of, but it's beautiful to see the church family just be the church family and love on us. So thank you for that. I also just want to say it's such an honor to be standing up here, um, serving in this capacity for me. It's not taken lightly. It's not like, yeah, I get to preach. No, I, I, am, I feel so honored to be here. I believe that when we open the scriptures in community like this, I believe that it's sacred. Um, I believe that God has the power to set people free in this setting this morning. And um, I think with the appropriate posture that, that we can experience some of the, the healing and encouragement that God is inviting us into, that something that the, the God of the universe has in store for us. That's a big deal. That cannot be taken lightly. So um, thank you for allowing me to be up here. Um, for those of you who might be new this morning, we have been going through a series called um, Resurrection Stories. And in this series, we're talking about the power, that, what, the power that God has to take the dark and broken and difficult things of this world and out of them bring healing and hope and wholeness. And this whole series has been about the reality that God is in the business of bringing comfort out of despair, Right? And Dave said, man, this, if we were a different kind of church, this is when we cheer and clap. But I think that we are that different kind of church where, where we get excited about the fact that God brings peace out of pain, right? That's exciting. Where he, he brings confidence out of insecurity and trust out of betrayal and joy out of discouragement and life out of death. 
So if you want to be excited at any point during the sermon, you can say amen, you can say preach it, white boy, you can say whatever you want. (laughs) But as long as I'm getting some affirmations, some head nods, then we know we're on the right track, we're on the same page. So um, I thought that it would be appropriate, since a lot of you don't know me, that, that I share some of my story with you. Would that be appropriate? Would that be all right? Okay. Cool, cool. So um, growing up, I lived what I thought was a pretty awesome life. After all, it was the only life I'd ever lived. So we, we were a family that lived for the weekends. Maybe some of you are out there is like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Family that lives for the weekends. We were like work hard, play hard kind of a family. And we loved the outdoors. We just loved being together. And I, I remember just being kind of an anxious kid, but I just, I thought that was a normal thing. So didn't think much of it. I thought it would blow over. Um, it wasn't until one day um, when I was around 11 years old that it was revealed to me and my siblings that my father needed to go away for a while to get better. And I was confused, didn't really know what was going on, um, but they said he was sick. And it was really confusing to me because I never noticed that my dad was ill. I never noticed him to be sick. He was actually extremely healthy from what I recall. And that's when I caught onto the fact that my father was an alcoholic. And he got to this place where he just, he couldn't handle that anymore. He was like, I need some sort of help. I need to do something about it. Um, So my dad went away and about a month later, he came home. And I can honestly say that the day that my father returned home from rehab was the first day that I encountered Jesus. It's the first day that I I witnessed what it looks like for somebody to be resurrected. While my dad was in rehab, he actually encountered the resurrection power of Jesus. And in a very real sense, I experienced Jesus for the first time through my dad. And what I thought was once normal quickly started to fade in sight of this new normal, right? This revived normal, which which was one where my dad was patient and joyful and present and fully alive every day of the week. And that was an exciting experience. And what I wanna talk to you about today is about the reality that your resurrection story isn't just for you. You guys know that. Your resurrection story isn't just for you. It's not the end of the story. It's also for those around you. My dad's resurrection story didn't just mean life for him. It actually led me to experiencing the resurrected life in Christ. So as I was observing the change that took place in his life and just sitting back, I wanted what he had. Have you guys felt that before? You see someone on fire for Jesus and you're like, man, I don't know what they have, but I want it. That's how I felt. I had a deep admiration for who he had become. So I naturally started to look into this Jesus thing for myself, right? And I have to say that my dad's resurrection story inspired my own story. And when we were 13, or when I, when we were thir- when I was 13, we were baptized as an entire family and we gave our lives to Jesus and it, yeah, yeah, that's great. Thank you. And, and that day we forever gave our lives to the rule and reign of Jesus. The resurrected life is absolutely for every single person in this room. But we are then called to bring that life into the broken places of this world to see life happen in dead places. We believe that, that Jesus is the great answer to humanity's greatest need, right? Anybody have any needs out here? 
a couple of needs, yeah, I've got an answer for you. And yes, it's the Jesus Sunday School answer. It is Jesus. But think about, think about what he's in the business of, right? That's just what Jesus did. Think about it. To the dead man, what was Jesus? Life, yes. To the prostitute, he was a second chance. To the searching, he was the long-awaited answer. To the blind, he gave sight. To the hungry, he gave food. To the leper, he healed. What if we started seeing the painful areas of this world less like a problem to be fixed and more like an opportunity to bring life? You know, like, oh man, there's so, there's so much toil and problem here. That is a beautiful opportunity right there. If you have spent any time reading the Gospels, anybody, Gospel people out there? Okay, we got a couple, perfect. You may have noticed that Jesus oftentimes targeted the marginalized of society. Has anybody noticed that before? Why is that? Because it's among hurting, I believe, and broken and messy people where he sees a ripe harvest for resurrection and restoration to explode, right? So I want, with that, I want to say this. You are never more like God than when you're entering into the mess of another. You are never more like God than when you are entering into the mess of another, than when you're hurting or helping hurting people and when you're lifting up fallen people and restoring people, why is that? Because that's what God does. And that's what Jesus did for us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be spending time in Luke chapter 10 this morning. So if you have those, whip them out. And there's this passage where Jesus is telling a story to a lawyer. And I think that his words have a whole lot to say to us about the resurrected life. So we're going to start in verse 25, chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen. It says this, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love your neighbor. You shall love your neighbor. No, he said, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, oh, yes, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, we're all kind of prone to justify ourselves, right? Said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor, really, right? And Jesus replied with a, a story and a question. <laughs> a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat, beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, ignored the guy. Um, so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, also passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And listen, listen what this guy does in this story that Jesus is telling. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. 
You go and do the same thing. So what we have here is a story of a lawyer, just a normal guy for the most part, who has a question for Jesus, looking for a loophole for receiving the eternal resurrected life. And essentially, he asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story that explains that the point isn't about figuring out who your neighbor is. The point is being a loving, resurrected neighbor to those around you. Let me just say, if there's people around you, those are your neighbors. And it's not, it's not about finding out who your neighbor is. The point is simply, you are called to be a neighbor, regardless of who it is. This is also so indicative of Jesus' teachings, where Jesus is all about the reality that if you want to find your life, then first you must lose, lose it. Jesus came, that was revolutionary. He came with this radical message that the resurrected life doesn't end at the moment of resurrection. It doesn't end. It actually only begins as you keep giving your life for his life over and over and over again. When you live the resurrected life, it becomes more about giving than getting. When you receive the resurrected life, you have everything. And now it's about giving everything that you've received. What if we started looking at the world and asking ourselves the question, what does it look like for me to be a resurrected neighbor in this broken world? In my workplace, in my neighborhood, in the local coffee shop, wherever, whatever, where are the dark places around me and how can I bring light into those places through Jesus? So, you guys awake? You feeling good? Okay. It says in verse 34, it says that the Samaritan went to him. Let's start walking through this verse. It says the Samaritan went to him. He went to this beaten man. He went toward brokenness and bound up his wounds. If you're taking notes, here's a point here that I'd like to make. Let me suggest that the resurrected life is one that moves toward brokenness. The resurrected life sees brokenness and starts walking toward it. It's one that moves into the beaten and broken lives of others so that healing and mending and repair can begin to take place. Cedar Mill, I think that, that your resurrected life is actually illustrated in this story that Jesus tells through the Samaritan. Your life is a life that is called to move toward brokenness, that welcomes brokenness, that isn't afraid of brokenness because you know that Jesus is in the business of healing what was once broken. We don't have to be scared of that. Humanity's extremity is God's opportunity. Humanity's extremity is God's opportunity. What if we started seeing tragedies in this world, not as a time to panic? There's a lot of things to be panicking about right now in this world, but what if we started to see those as a time to step in and see God do the healing work that he's in the business of? And then let's, let's continue. It says, the Samaritan placed this wounded man on his animal in his place, right? So hops off his animal, this wounded man, boom. Doesn't sound like much, but that verse right there will preach like you wouldn't believe. I don't know how to say that, but it, this doesn't sound like much, but let me put it in different terms. See that imagery, getting off the animal, boom. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is the gospel right there, right? Somebody getting off place somebody in that place. The gospel is that we traded places, our brokenness for Jesus' righteousness. 
I want to remind someone this morning that if you have received the forgiveness of God and you're living this resurrected life, anybody out there, you're permanently righteous. You're permanently righteous. And I want to remind you how you got righteous, okay? Can I remind you this morning? How you got righteous. It wasn't on your own. It wasn't your background. It wasn't your religion or religiosity. It wasn't your education. It wasn't your financial standing. It wasn't your family name. You became righteous because he picked up your beaten and broken self and simply placed you in the resurrected spot. And guess what? That not only happened to you, but that is now the ministry you're called to engage in. What, this might sound weird, what if you got off your horse this week? You know what I'm saying? And looked around, does your life look like one where you're wandering around looking for beaten and broken people so that you can place them in the proper position? Let's continue in verse 35. And the next day he took out two denarii and, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Point two, I think the resurrected life is a call to serve. If anyone's living the resurrected life, you're, the calling on your life, man, people come to me, what's my purpose in life? You, there's a calling on your life to serve when you've experienced Jesus. Um, something I love about this story is that there was no questions asked about this hurting man, right? There was no questions asked. Aren't we so quick to start asking questions sometimes to get out of helping hurting people? Anybody done that before? Maybe I'm just the only one. Okay, like a reason to justify why you're, you're placing distance between you and another person. The Samaritan note took just, he said, just take care of him. He brought him to the inn, take care of him. Then the questions start, but is he on drugs? Take care of him. I, I, don't, I don't know what he's on, just take care of him. What's his background? Take care of him. How does he vote? Take care of him, right? What does he do on the weekends, though? I think this is that sketchy dude with the man bun. Take care of him, right? <laughs> Won't this be messy, though? Yeah, take, take care of him. There is no definition, no limit, no prerequisite. The resurrected life means that we have entered a life that is called to care regardless of the cost. If I can be a little honest, I think that the Western church as a whole in a lot of ways has grown to fear caring for people because we fear that others might think that we approve of a different lifestyle than the one we live. So we choose to remove ourselves from relationships because we don't want people to think that I'm okay with who they are, right? If you've experienced that tension before. We are called to care without limits without reservations. You reserve the right to care for anyone and everyone. It's your calling. And look at your sweet rabbi, teacher, Jesus, being criticized for who he was hanging out with, right? We're scared of association, our rabbi. Not so much, Luke 15, verse two. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, right? He befriended the worst of people. He wasn't fearful of association. This begs us to ask the question, which this might be hard. It's hard for me to ask myself this question. Who have you excused yourself from caring about? Who have you excused yourself from caring about? What kind of questions have you been saying? Well, what about the, who have you excused yourself from? We justify ourselves by saying things like, you made this mess, now you're gonna get yourself out of it. Or you made this bed, now you're gonna lay in it. And let's be reminded that when it comes to brokenness, when it comes to brokenness, there is no such thing as us and them, 
right? When that term gets brought up, there is no distinction. It's all us. We are all broken. And this passage in the resurrected life will have little significance in your life until you realize at one time you were the beaten and broken person who needed someone to come along and rescue them. Who have you excused yourself from picking up? Something that I can't help but notice in this passage is the inn that the beaten and broken man was taken to. Let's think about that for a second. Culturally, this inn is far more like an emergency room than a country club, right? It wasn't no hotel, motel, holiday inn. Anybody out there? Okay, no. (laughs) It was a makeshift emergency room, right? And I can only imagine how messy the inn was that day. I can't help but wonder, what if we started viewing Cedar Mill Bible Church like this inn where beaten and broken people were dropped off to be cared for back to life. I can confidently say that in so many ways, I think that's what we're known for in Beaverton area, right? We have something that's called the Cedar Mill Refugee House, where uprooted individuals receive an unconditional welcoming, right? Beaten and broken, receiving the, the mending that they need, mending the soul. We have this where, where people are, are hurting and they get the healing balm in their life that they need, right? We have Celebrate Recovery, where people with hurts, habits, and hangups are provided with a way out, right? This is the image of hurting people coming and receiving what they need. Royal Family Kids Camp, where precious kids who have, who have been dealt a difficult hand get unconditionally loved, right? Vulnerable Children Initiative, where children who don't have a voice for themselves have someone to speak up for them, or our St. Child's House, where young mothers in crisis are helped onto their feet with resources that they need. And the list goes on. In so many ways, we are the inn where the beaten and broken people can come exist. And I know you guys have experienced that. You were in that place, and and you, you found life here through... Jesus, but let me, just, let me just say that this only happens when we continue to embrace brokenness, continue to invite it in. That's scary, but that's what we're called to. If you want to live the resurrected life, we have to be all about extending the resurrected life. Once we live it, that's point three, living the resurrected life means extending the resurrected life. It means embracing hurts and pains and placing Jesus in the center of, of those. Just like the Samaritan in this story, Let's be a church known for depleting our resources for the good of another. He doesn't say like, okay, maxed out at five bucks, just make sure, you know what I mean? He's like, man, cover whatever he needs. We're caring for this guy. For the sake of love, for the sake of life, let's be known for depleting our resources for the good of another. Like, man, Cedar Mill, they're all about giving their all. I don't know what it is, man. Let's be about depleting our time and depleting our energy and our finances and pouring out our creativity and surrendering our future plans. Why? Because living the resurrected life means extending the resurrected life. And once I've experienced that, I don't care what I'm doing as long as I'm bringing that message to other people at all costs. Let me ask you, in this story, do you think that what the Good Samaritan did was convenient? No. Do you think it was very fun? or clean, it was none of those. But Jesus tells the story and then says words that I think should echo through here today. You go and do likewise. Wise, wise, wise. (laughs) 
you go and do the same. Tells this story of this guy that's just embracing brokenness, pouring everything out to this guy and says, go and do the same. Enter into the brokenness to see the resurrection. We have this vision as a church that goes something like this. Becoming like Jesus and making him known. Becoming like Jesus and making him known. Have you ever thought of the implications of that? Jesus is an amazing, amazing guy. Once you start reading into that, there was some tough stuff. What are we really saying when we're like becoming like Jesus, right? It doesn't just mean grow your hair out and wear Jesus sandals. I've done that. It does, it's, <laughs> it's not just that. I tried it. It means doing what he did. When we become like Jesus, we learn to live like Jesus, but we also learn to die like Jesus. We receive the life that he's given us, but we also learn to pour ourselves out. When I hear that, I'm also reminded of this quote of Eugene Peterson's. I love it. Listen to what it says. Maybe some of you need to hear this. It says, the Bible is not a script for a funeral service. It's the record of God bringing life where we expect to find death. This is not a script for a funeral service, right? It is, man, this is where God is bringing life, not only here, but into the world right now. So the question comes down to this. So now what, right? Live the resurrected life. You're, are you seriously just gonna leave here today with this charge to suffer? <laughs> kind of. Although following Jesus might sound like suffering, we can embrace it willingly because we know the end of the story. It might look like suffering, but we can embrace it willingly because we know the end of the story. There's this parable that Jesus shares and it goes something like this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. That would be nice. Which, which a man, he, he stumbled upon it and found it and he covered it up and then in his joy, he goes home and he sells everything that he has and buys it, buys that field. He goes home with, with what? Then, then, his, then in his joy, joyfully, he goes home and sells everything that he has to get this cedar mill. Let's be changed by this. We can forfeit our comforts in this world because what is waiting for us is much greater. We can forfeit it all because what is waiting is much greater. We can, we can give it all up with joy because life in Christ now and forever will always be better than those things. There's no better way that I think, a better way to end this series than to share communion together. Than, than by looking at Jesus, looking at the suffering he, he engaged in, and then looking at the life, and then hearing the words of Jesus and him saying, come follow me. Whoa. Come follow me. What you're going to find is, is there will be bread and juice in the front and the back of the room. Um, and let, let's just really contemplate that. Look into Jesus' suffering. Look into the life that we receive from him. And remember the words, you go and do the same or come follow me. And may we leave here more prepared to go and do what Jesus is in the business of doing. Um, we also believe that, that prayer is powerful. Can I say that again? Prayer is powerful, and if you are in need of prayer this morning, which all of us are in need of prayer, I would argue, um, please be bold to take advantage of the prayer resources that we have here today. There's gonna be people in the front of the room, in the back of the room with a tag that says prayer team. 
I dream of like every week that we come and we worship in this way and there's like a line of people out the door like just, just starving for prayer. Let's, be, let, let's grow in that. And speaking of praying, let's pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, go ahead and take communion whenever you're ready. The tables will be open. God, we love you. We surrender ourselves to you. This is, a, this is a terrifying calling for us because we just live in this world and this culture where comfort feels obviously way better than suffering, but we know that because of the life that you've given us, we can engage in suffering. We can embrace suffering. Help us not to excuse people this week, God. Help us to discern the life that you're calling us into and help us not just not just be okay with it, but grab onto it and accept it and use everything that you've given us to be resources to extend the resurrected life into other people's lives. God, we love you. Just pray that this would be a beautiful image of worship that we're gonna partake in today. Thank you for your suffering. Thank you for Jesus. God, we want to answer the calling that you've put on our lives that sounds like, come follow me. Jesus, we want to come and follow you here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.